There is really no season quite like Christmas. It, it has a, a bit of a magical sense of splendor no matter where you go. Some of you realize my mom lives in Phoenix, Arizona, and even there uh, it takes on a special sense of majesty. Uh, it's, it's, it's funny to go down there and actually see uh, uh, lights on cactus trees. You know. uh, that has got to hurt. I, I, you know, there's just no way uh, I, I can imagine putting them up uh, without some scars along the way. And, and throughout the neighborhoods, it's, it's really beautiful down there. They, they have a special little thing that they do with, with little bags. that They carve out little like ice, uh, 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 snowflake things, and they put candles inside, and they line the sidewalks and the driveways. And at night, you drive through, and there's, it's, it's almost like stepping into a, an, another world, really. Oh, there are some, however, in our, in our society who will try to blunt the point and demand that we avoid the word and, and just say things like holidays. Uh, but really, for us, it is a merry and a very merry Christmas. And it, and, and, and it is merry because it rings aloud with a sense of majesty, with an elegance of, of joy. And yet, sometimes I wonder to myself, what was it like the first time through? Can I read you a, a story? Take, you know, uh, bear with me as I tell it. It's one that takes place in a very special way. It's called The Arrival, and it's by Max Licato. He says, The noise and the bustle began earlier than usual in the village. Night gave way to dawn. People were already on the streets. Vendors positioned themselves on the corners of the most heavily traveled avenues. Store owners uh, unlocked the doors to their shops. The owner of the inn had awakened earlier uh, than most in the town, and after all, the inn was full, and all the beds were taken, and every available mat or blanket had been uh, put to use. And soon, the customers would stir, and there would be work to do. Imagine the conversation uh, of the innkeeper and his family at the breakfast table. Did anyone mention the arrival of the young couple the night before? Did anyone uh, ask about their welfare? Did anyone notice the pregnancy of the girl who came on the donkey? At best, the questions were raised, but, but not discussed. There was nothing that novel about them. Besides, who had time to talk about them when there was so much excitement in the air? Augustus the Caesar did the economy of Bethlehem a favor when he decreed that a census should be taken. Who could remember when such commerce had actually hit that village? Doubtful that anyone thought about the couple and the condition of that poor girl. The day was upon them. Bread was to be baked. Chores were to be done. Too much to do to imagine the impossible had occurred. God had entered the world as a baby that night before. Yet were someone to chance upon the the, the sheep stable, what a peculiar scene they, they would behold. The, the stable had the stable smell. <laughs> the ground is hard, the hay scarce, cobwebs were on the rafters, mice were running around the floor. A more lowly place of birth could never be imagined. Off to one side, a group of shepherds, silent on the floor, perhaps perplexed, perhaps in awe, no doubt amazed. Uh, their night watch was interrupted by an explosion of light from heaven and a symphony of angels. God goes to those who have time to hear him. So on the cloudless night, he went to simple shepherds. And near the young mother, a weary father was dozing a bit. The mystery of the event still puzzled him, but he hadn't the energy to wrestle with the questions anymore. It had been a long night. What's important is that the baby was fine and Mary was safe. And as sleep comes, 
he remembers the name of the angel who uh, the, the angel had told him to use. Jesus. Uh, we, we, we will call him Jesus. Wide awake is Mary. Oh, how young she looked. Her head rests softly on, 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 on a soft leather of a saddle. The pain was eclipsed by the wonder of, of holding that baby. She looked into the face of the baby, her son, realizing that now it was really her Lord and his majesty. And at this point in history, the human being who best understands who God is and, and what he is doing is, in fact, just one person, a teenage girl in a smelly stable. She can't take her eyes off him. And somehow she knows she is holding God, so, so this is he. And she remembers the words of the angel, his kingdom will never end. Well, he looks like anything but a king. His face prunish and red, his cry, the helpless piercing cry of a baby. Majesty in the midst of the mundane. Holiness in the filth of sheep manure and sweat. Divinity entering the world on the floor of a stable, uh, through the womb of a teenager and in the presence of a carpenter. She touches the face of this infant God, wondering, how long was your journey? This baby had overlooked the universe. Those rags keeping him warm were the robes of eternity. His golden throne room had been abandoned in favor of a dirty sheep pen. And worshiping angels had been replaced with kind but bewildered shepherds. And meanwhile, around them, the city hummed. The merchants, unaware that God had visited their planet, the innkeeper would have never believed that he had just sent God into the cold, and the people would scoff at anyone who told them that the Messiah lay in the arms of a teenager on the outskirts of their village. They were all too busy to consider the possibility. Those who missed his majesty's arrival that night missed it not because of evil acts or malice. No, they missed it because they were simply not looking at all. Little has changed over the last 2,000 years, hasn't it? <laughs> I suppose I, I, I shouldn't judge the people of Bethlehem too harshly. I, I guess it, it, it shouldn't be as a surprise that on the first Christmas, or even the first 30-plus Christmases would pass as just another day, because through human eyes, it was just another baby. But knowing the story in full this far out in time, it allows us to to see it through the eyes of God, and what we see is, in fact, really filled with wonder when you think of it. And in this Advent season, I've been looking at this baby and asking the question that comes out of that age-old hymn, what child is this? Now, last week, that question caused me to explore what was he doing before he was born. He was the light of majesty. And what did he do before he was born? He designed creation. He made you and me. This morning, I, I, I want to turn that question closer to a moment. What was the motivation that led him to his birth? What made him come? To the world at large, it may have seemed like just another day a passing moment, but from the mind of God, it was a date in destiny. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn there to the book of Galatians in chapter (laughs) 4. Although I'm finding out more and more these days, if you have your tablets, if you have your iPhones, would you please turn them back on and go to Galatians chapter (laughs) 4. For there we go to the fourth verse, and it says, But when the time had fully come, 
God had sent his son, born of a woman and born under the law. Now, I just have to pause there for a moment and turn that phrase around in my mind a bit. When the time had fully come. When the time had fully come. Some of you had translated as in the fullness of time. And the time had fully come. So many factors seem to collide on the, on the calendar and on the clock with time. The time had fully come. Politically, this was a unique moment in history. When Rome had conquered and subdued all of the known inhabited earth, Roman words, roads connected virtually every significant culture, giving this sort of access that would eventually, in a matter of years, allow the gospel to spread throughout that world like wildfire. It was a time when there was one dominant language, Greek, which would, again, eventually allow the gospel to be spoken from one end of the known earth to the other and be understood. It was the fullness of time. What a moment that was. And historians also note that it was a unique theological moment as well because it was that moment in time when the mythologies of Greece and Rome were losing their hold on the common people and there was a tangible hunger in the hearts and the minds of people everywhere for a religion that was real and satisfying. And at that moment in time, the world lay in darkness like dry tinder so that when Jesus came, he was not only the light, but he was also the spark that would set that tinder on fire. When the time had fully come, we read, in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman and born under the law. That's what we read in our Bible. And then we find the answer to that question. What made him come? What moved him to invade earth at this precise moment? Well, look back at Galatians chapter 4 and verse 5. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights as God's children, as sons of God. Jesus came on purpose. Actually, on two purposes, if you read through those verses. Well, the first was to redeem, and the second, to adopt. To redeem and to adopt you and me, and make us full children of a heavenly Father. Now, when you hear the word redeem, it almost sounds like a, react, a, 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 a transaction. And it is. It's a payment made to transfer ownership of something, or better yet, someone, like you and me, uh, to someone else. And here, it is all those who are born under the ownership of the law and condemned by sin to be slaves, and that's the term Paul uses earlier in Galatians that pretty much covers the whole of humanity. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all slaves of sin. And it would take somebody outside of that pool to change the status and to make that transaction and to free those who are slaves. And here comes Jesus. For all have sinned, and Jesus comes, and this God man able to redeem, he's there for the transaction. I love the way John Stott puts it. He puts it this way If, If he had not been a man, he could not have redeemed men. If he had not been a righteous man, he could not have redeemed unrighteous men. 
If he had not been God's son, he could not have redeemed men for God and made them sons of God. He is the only one, however, who could do it. And so he came, and on the cross he paid the debt that set us free. It was Jesus who took us off the marketplace of sin. God sent his son to redeem. But it also says here, to adopt. I love the full picture painted in this verse. The purpose that compelled Jesus to come was more than just a rescue operation to redeem us from slavery. He intended to turn us from slaves into sons and daughters of a heavenly father. I love the way Barbara Taylor wrote it in her Christmas poem. She says, his name is Emmanuel. His name is Emmanuel. The God who is with us, who is made out of the same stuff we are and uh, the same stuff we are and who is made out of the same stuff God is and who will not let either of us go. In him, we are home. That's the wonderful gift of Christmas. That God would come to bring us home, back to himself, into his arms, so that we might join together with him as family. But I have to read on in Galatians 4 because I discovered very quickly that there is a second gift to Christmas. Twice in the passage we are told that God sent a gift to us. In verse 4 we are told that in the fullness of time God sent his Son. And in verse 5 we are told that in the fullness of time, God then sent a second gift. The UPS truck arrived twice. God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Did you realize that there were two gifts delivered at Christmas? The Son and the Spirit. If it was God's plan that through Jesus he would come to us, it was also his plan that through his spirit we would come back to him. That he would put in our heart that sort of attraction, that desire, that if Jesus be lifted up, we would be drawn to him. It's one thing to be offered as a gift. It's another thing to have the courage and the strength to receive that gift. And here the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of His Son, prompts the precious privilege of prayer to the, children, to the child of God that enables every single one of us to offer up a very simple prayer. One so simple, a baby could utter it. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Some people struggle wondering, how do I... How do I Receive Jesus Christ. Do I have to learn how to recite a certain formula? Do I, do I need to strive for a unique experience? Do I need to learn a secret handshake? How do I do this? The Bible says that if we are to be God's children, and because we are God's children, God has sent his spirit into our hearts, not with spectacular gifts or signs or wonders, but with the simplicity of an open heart that is capable of saying, Abba, Father, I am yours. And the result, look again. Now look at verse 7. So now you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. At Christmas, the fullness of time, Jesus was born for a purpose that you and I would no longer be slaves 
within a dark world, but that we would become children of God, and, and because of him, grace would overflow. Years ago, I came across a Christmas service delivered somewhere in the earlier part of the 1900s by the Texas preacher W.A. Criswell. <laughs> in it, he told the story of one of the members of his church in Texas, a prominent businessman who, who owned a family firm. The firm's name was Mr. Lowry and Son. In the wake of the Great Depression in the United States, one of the sad notes of history was that there were any number of orphans on the east coast of the United States who were put on trains and then sent west. And the trains would, drop, uh, would stop along the way and drop off these orphans for farmers to look at and then take into their homes to work in their fields. And so, and so as, the, as the orphans were being dropped off along the way in, in hopes to find their homes, one little boy slipped off one of those trains in Texas. Seeking to wander alone, he'd tired of the trip. And as he wandered through the little town, he, he, he was fascinated by this, this house he saw. Up on a hill, it was a huge lawn and a long driveway. And to him, it looked like a mansion. So mesmerized, this little boy wandered up the driveway to, to get a closer look when the owner of the home, Mr. Lowry, saw him through a window and stepped out the front door. Not knowing what to say, the little ragged boy <laughs> just blurted out, uh, Mr., do you have a little boy? Mr. Lowry kindly answered, uh, no, son, Miss, Mrs. Lowry and I don't have any children. The little boy blurted out again, oh, I'd, I'd get everything I own if I could be your little boy and run and play on this beautiful lawn. Sometimes the truth is a little stranger than fiction. And as it happened, Mr. Lowry turned and he called for his wife. And as she came through the door, he asked her, dear, would you like to have a little boy? And without skipping a beat, she looked at that child and she said, yes, of course I would. And with that, the big man turned to the little boy and said, son, come on in, welcome home. And that little boy, he came forward, but then he stopped and he, he dug in his pockets and he pulled out a grand total of his, his life savings, 13 cents. It was all he had. And he handed it out to the man. Sir, this is all I have. The big man took the boy's hand and he closed it around the pennies and he said, Son, you keep them. For I have more than enough for all of us and if you're going to be my son, it's all going to be yours. And he took that little boy into his house and he adopted him. And he became Mr. Lowry's son. Lowry and sons. And that's exactly why Jesus came for me and for you. That's what moved him out of heaven. It was the sight of you and me as, as waifs, as it were, poor, ragged, wandering outcasts. And that's why there's Christmas. He came to bring us home, to redeem us, to adopt us, to take us into his arms and to draw us to himself and welcome us home, making us his child.
What a majestic Merry Christmas it is.